14 of the King James Version says, Thou shalt not kill. If that was how the Bible was written, I could be a Bible quizzer. I could do it. I could buzz in. Exodus 20, 13, read one. Thou shalt not kill. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. I could do that along with Jesus wept. Thou shalt not commit adultery. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I can do some of these. But uh, yeah, thank you. You can give me a round of applause. That's nice. Um, But to us at first glance, uh, this seems pretty straightforward. Hey, don't kill people. That's it. All right, God bless you. Go have a good night and don't kill anyone. Like that, 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 that seems like a pretty straightforward command. Uh, but wait, what about if someone breaks into your house? What about abortion? What about killing animals? What about mercy killing? What about serving in the military? There's all kinds of questions that we can't just go, thou shalt not kill, good, God bless you, have a good night, and we leave because there's still some things that we're like, and just what I, just what I briefly mentioned there, we could do a six-week series just on what I just mentioned. So I'm not going to cover all of those things in depth tonight, so sit tight. You're like, are you serious? Is he really going to hit all that in one lesson? I'm not. But there are a number of questions that arise from that thou shalt not kill. And so uh, this could be one of could be some controversial uh, opinions, I guess, in this lesson, because even in Christian circles, there could be varying opinions as to the answers of these very questions that I just raised in just a a couple of words there. So tonight, we're going to look at week six of this series, the Ten Commandments and today. And if there's one word, again, each, each week is just one word. And tonight, we are looking at murder. And so... I wasn't sure how many would show up to be like, some people stayed home. They're like, I'm not going to murder anyone. I don't need to hear about murder. But I think we're going to learn a bit about what Scripture says on this topic. Now, this seems like an odd commandment from from God to the Israelites. God tells them, thou shalt not kill. But then their history goes on, and they fight battle after battle after battle. And God led them into the battle, and God gave them victory in the battle. And people died in battle. And so you're like, okay, thou shalt not kill, but then move forward and take that nation and that nation and that nation. So you're like, we got we to gotta make sense of this. And so even when it comes to animals, anybody here like to hunt? But, but just, uh, just no, I'm not going to call you out. Like you're raising your hand and we're going to call you sinner here in a second. That's not what I'm doing. But just a curiosity. If you like to hunt, raise your hand. All right. How many of you have never been hunting? All right, I'm among friends. I was afraid, like being in Missouri, I thought I'd be the only one. I have not. I will try it, but I've never done it yet. But so somebody's got to take me hunting. I've thought about it. I thought it might be cool until my father-in-law had a Cabela's magazine, and there was a, they were selling a toilet seat that goes on top of a five-gallon bucket. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I'm out. And he's like, that's luxury. And I was like, man, you know what? My version of camping's in a fifth wheel, you know, like it's just, I don't know. Maybe I've changed a lot, so maybe by two, three years from now, I'm going to be a rugged, rugged hunter. But we'll see. So when it comes to animals, just 11 verses later, God issues this command. Exodus 20, 24, he says, build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me. 
your burnt offerings, peace offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered, and I'll come to you and bless you. Well, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of animal bloodshed throughout the Old Testament for the atonement of sins. And so God's calling them here to kill animals for, for atonement. And then in the New Testament, Peter has a dream where God specifically tells him to kill and eat animals. Acts 10, verse 9, it says, The next day at Cornelius' messengers were nearing, as they were nearing the, the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. And he was hungry. Okay, I get hungry around noon too. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, birds, and then a voice said to him, Go, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was pulled up to heaven. You see, in the Israelites in the Old Testament, they had strict dietary laws. To this day, if you travel to Israel, there's strict dietary laws. Kosher is what they'll say. They're, they're kosher, strict laws. But even though they could not eat blood in the Old Testament, uh, and although there was a list of animals that they could not eat, there was also a list they could eat. And the general understanding of, of, of killing here, you look at this, and, and God was saying, hey, I'm, I'm calling you to eat this because I've made it clean, and I want you to know I'm thankful for that passage of Scripture because it allows me to eat at Texas Roadhouse and get me filet mignons. And I want you to know, don't be scared. Life is in the blood. I might be taking that out of context, but if there's a little blood out of that steak, it's just juice. Some of you are going, and others are like, That's awesome. So the general understanding of killing, see, some of you are thinking about the meat, and you're back at the burnt offering. <laughs> the general understanding of killing is obviously not being applied to human beings killing animals for food, because we have him killing animals in the Old Testament for sacrifice. We have him telling them to kill animals in the New Testament to eat. And so the answer to all of our questions on the topic, uh, begin by looking at the root meaning of the Hebrew word that's used for kill. The meaning of that word is simple. It's murder. That's why all the other translations say this. Look at the look at a New Living Translation. You, sh you must not murder. And that's why the root word of that Hebrew word kill is murder. And so we must acknowledge the fact that there is a difference between the two concepts, between killing and murdering. And so God knows the irreparable damage that murder does to the human race. Only two chapters into human history, Adam and Eve took a bite that they weren't supposed to bite and they weren't supposed to eat and they opened the door wide open to sin, and, and, but God still blessed them with two boys. And actually, more than two, but initially two boys, Cain and Abel. And just into the second generation of their family tree, Cain gets so jealous with Abel that he lures him into a field, ambushes him, and murders his own brother. Abel had no idea that this trip out to visit his brother in a field 
would be the last trip of his life. No judge or jury would struggle convicting Cain on this murder charge. The evidence was there. Probable cause was there. Cain intentionally killed his brother, and he did it on purpose. And God values life so much that he added this command to what we, we, might, we might call his top ten list, okay? He adds this there. And so God values human life above the cows in the field or the birds in the air. Now, I know some of you love animals. You, if you are here and you love animals, raise your hand. If you love animals, raise your hand if you love dogs, okay? See me after I got two for sale. Um, <laughs> So, I know some of you might tear up when, uh, when somebody steps on a spider or something. I don't know. But, uh, but biblically, biblically, humankind was given dominion over the animals. Now, I, I don't have a problem if you love animals. There's nothing wrong with that. But biblically, we were given dominion over animals. We have a higher place. That's even why he's like, hey, yeah, you know, the hairs in your head are numbered, doing the sparrows in the field. I, I, I provide for them, and yet are you not worth more than they are? You know, so God, our value is higher than animals. I know some people want to say we evolved from animals, and that's preposterous too. But our value is higher, okay? So we are the only ones made in the image of God. Maybe all dogs do go to heaven. I don't know. But I certainly know I'm not cleaning up after them. <laughs> but they are not made in God's image like we are. Okay? It appears that God differentiates between intentional and unintentional killing. And so God knew that there would be times when someone would unintentionally take another human life. I mean, you think about what happens on the roads. I'm not talking about drunk driving. I'm not talking about things where you have brought it upon yourself. But when someone gets in an accident, truly it was an accident. I mean, imagine if like, well, we're going to kill you. You're going to go to hell because you hit someone taking the wrong turn. I mean, that's tragic. It's terrible. But God obviously differentiates between intentional and unintentional killing. Yes, somebody dies, it's, it's tragic, it's painful, it's a real thing, it does happen. And God made provisions, though, for someone who unintentionally took someone else's life so that that person would not have to give his or her life. After their wilderness wanderings, the children of Israel, they finally made it to the promised land. And so while they were dreaming about what they should do with all the green, lush grass that's in front of them, uh, they're like, well, what, what can we put there? We could build this. We could put this here. God commands them and says, I want you to build six cities of refuge. These were cities that were set apart on purpose. They were to be a refuge for someone to run to if he or she accidentally killed someone. Now, six cities out of the 48 in the promised land. I want you to get, kind of get that number in your head. Look at the percentages. Let's bring this to where we could maybe understand a little more. That's six cities out of 48. That means one out of every eight, okay? And so the state of Missouri has 1,227 cities, towns, and villages. For comparison, 
This would mean that 153 cities in Missouri would exist as cities of refuge. So imagine traveling through Missouri, and there are 153 cities in our state that you could stop at if you accidentally killed someone. Okay? So this provision was obviously a big deal to God. For the Israelites, three cities of refuge were east of the Jordan River and three were west of the Jordan River. To me, this seems like overkill, no pun intended. But to have six cities of refuge, that's six out of 48. I mean, it was meant to be where if you accidentally killed someone, you had a place to run to and find safety. Well, you look at that and go, I mean, how many times does an axe head fly off the handle and strike someone when they're walking by? Like, this does not happen that much. Why do we need six cities of refuge? But God wanted there to be safety in case someone unintentionally killed someone else. So there's that word again because it keeps popping up. Intention. 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 Who determines what's intentional and unintentional? Well, God did. He gave his children tests to take for those who lived after they struck someone who died. Numbers 35, verse 16, it says, But if someone strikes and kills another person with a piece of iron, it's murder. The murder must be executed. Or if someone with a stone in his hand strikes and kills another person, it's murder, and the murder must be put to death. Or if someone strikes and kills another person with a wooden object, it's murder, and the murder must be put to death. If you think this is exciting reading, read the whole book of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all this. You'll, you'll, if you love law, it's just, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And then this. But you got to understand, they were in bondage for 430 years. God was giving them the law by which to live in the Old Testament. And so it says, verse 19, it says, the victim's nearest relative is responsible for putting the murderer to death. When they meet, the avenger must put the murderer to death. Now, we don't live under this law, so you don't have justification to do what this is saying. We're just looking what he gave in the Old Testament. And so if someone hates another person and waits in ambush, then pushes him or throws him something at him and he dies, it's murder. Or if someone hates another person and hits him with a fist and he dies, it's murder. In such cases, the avenger must be put the mur must put the burner to death uh, when they meet. We we look at loaded words here because it's talking about strikes, hates, lying in wait. It really paints the picture of someone who is doing some some of these things intentionally. He strikes him, he ambushes him, he hides, he hits, he hates. Okay. They all paint a grisly picture of someone with hatred in heart or murder in plans. Because even back then, sin was a heart issue. It's part of the reason God gave the law, 613 different commands, not just these 10, but to show humanity that no matter how many laws you have, how many follow this, don't do this, don't do this, make sure you do this, don't do that, stay away from that, that ultimately the cause of sin is not a lack of clarity on a law. Sin is a heart issue, and therefore, we need a new heart. And this is why Scripture prophesies about a new heart, Ezekiel. Well, I put it, I will replace the stony heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit inside you that will cause you to walk in. We need the spirit of God in us. And so, uh, in this case, murder was intentional. But then Moses flips the coin to the other side. 
Numbers 35, 22. He says, but so, suppose someone pushes another person without having shown previous hostility or throws something that unintentionally hits another person or accidentally drops a huge stone on someone. You got to be strong to drop a huge stone. Like, sorry, I didn't mean to drop that huge stone on you. You got to, I mean, you're, you're big and strong as it is, but Though they were not enemies, the person dies. And if this should happen, the community must follow these regulations in making a judgment between the slayer and the avenger, the victim's nearest relative. So there's a distinct difference in these passages. If a guy cleaning out his field, if he's cleaning out his field and he tosses a stone into the woods, and you hear, ah, and he unintentionally kills someone... He's not guilty of murder. It's tragic, absolutely tragic. He still leaves behind a grieving family, but he did not intentionally kill his brother. He didn't murder his brother. He killed his brother. He didn't murder his brother. But his word is not enough. Even if he protested the innocence, the congregation still had to judge between him and the victim's family whether the man was guilty of intentional murder or not. If so, God gave the victim's family the right to avenge innocent blood. Now, as they heard the testimony, they would listen for the slightest sign of hate. Did he hate him? Was he angry at him? Was there previous anger in fights and things there? So they would look at that, which... You think about this. In Scripture, they needed two, at least two or three witnesses. There had to be a testimony. They had to look at that probable cause. Does this sound familiar? We can say separation of church and state. People use that all the time and misunderstand that. That was so that government could not dictate religion. That was not, oh, keep religion out of government because this, this whole nation was founded on godly principles. You can go to Washington and it's inscribed everywhere. And so, so it's founded on godly principles. And so the law in the Old Testament identifies the motive for most murder, and that is hate. Okay, but now we leap from the Old Testament to the New Testament and read what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21, he says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, New Living Translation here, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So Jesus is talking and he's teaching because the whole issue here is to protect human life. And in the Old Testament... God drew the line at murder. In the New Testament, he draws the line even further back. He drew it at anger. He told us not to get angry and bitter at our brother, our sister, and our enemy. And we're going to look at this even next week with, with adultery, that he was saying if sin really is a hard issue, don't just start judging at the very act but begin to look at your heart before the act even happens. So if I start saying, well, murder, not murder, no. Murder starts with its, its anger and hatred and bitterness. And there's things that he says, you need to look here at your heart before that action even. Let's not wait till that action happens. But let's look at what's, what's in here. 
See, had Cain, that's why he says forgive, turn the other cheek. Had Cain kept his anger under control, Abel would have probably lived to see his great, 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 great granddaughter. Had Cain kept his anger under control. Cain couldn't control his anger and one thing led to another thing and eventually what he could have been, what could have been uh, vanished forever he becomes, instead, of, instead of, 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 of reaching out to Abel and instead of, of controlling his anger, we see Abel vanishes forever and Cain becomes the person that's known as the first murderer in the Bible. Didn't have to be that way. This anger that I'm referencing is more than just being frustrated that your printer's not working. Now I'm talking about unrelenting, unforgettable hateful, spiteful anger that boils your blood and steals your sleep. Now, if you're lucky, most of you have probably never experienced this, but some of you maybe have. That type of anger and bitterness and hatred that is so deep that you actually can't converse with someone, go to certain areas, it keeps you up at night. That's dangerous. You know, you say, well, no, kill a brother. I, no, well, one out of every 35 deaths in Chicago is, is a murder. And most of these murders are what they would deem crimes of passion, meaning these are crimes caused by anger among friends or relatives. It's crazy. But it's real in, in humanity. This is what we deal with. And I know... This is one of those things that we could, we could talk about, love God, love others, and forgive, and don't commit adultery. And like some of these things, this is one of those, I think most people are like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even know why I'm here tonight. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ever going to kill anybody. This is like one of those drastic of the Ten Commandments. But nobody wakes up and is like, I'm going to be an adulterer today, or I'm going to miss heaven today, or I'm going to go kill somebody. Like, People don't wake up and say, I'm going to be a drug addict today. Like, if we, if we make provision for our flesh, anything can happen. And that's why we have to make sure that we're constantly looking at our heart and our mind because when bitterness and hatred and anger get into our heart, it's, it's literally, it's a poison that will destroy us. And if it's allowed to stay there, the, the, the path that we can travel, who knows where it'll take us. So we have to make sure that even when it comes to murder, that we're going, no, I, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm not even going to let the, the anger, the bitterness, the hatred, nothing is going to be allowed to get into this heart. This is why you can almost say, thou shalt not kill is really another way of saying thou shalt not hate. Because hate takes you further down a road than you ever planned to go or that you ever thought possible. People don't start off as a little child unless you are psychologically unstable. People don't start off as a child going, I want to be a murderer. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. Murder is usually fueled by hate. Before you harbor hateful and lethal anger, repent. Take it to God. And this is one thing, too. Scripture tells us that if we can't forgive other people, he won't forgive us. So I know 
that I can't really have any room to hate anybody because no one has wronged me as much as I've wronged Christ. And so God will give grace. But not all murder, though, is fueled by anger. All right? You look at abortion. Abortion is often motivated by a new mother or father's fear of drastic lifestyle changes after having a baby. Euthanasia, or you might know it as physician-assisted suicide, is often motivated by a sympathetic desire to help someone we love out of their suffering. But as pure as that motive is, God is the giver of life, and he's the only one who can require it. Suicide is often motivated by a a feeling of hopelessness or despair. But once again, God is the giver of life, and only he has that, that right to say when it ends. All human life has value because we are all created in the image of God. But there are times when another person created in the image of God is bent on harming another person that's created in the image of God. And so sin has entered our world, and there are great, amazing people in this world, but there are also people that are bad people that I'm not just going to let my kid go to the grocery store and pick out candy with anybody who offers to take them. If I did, I'd be a terrible person or a terrible parent in the 21st century. Why? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world, and not everybody has good, pure, clean motives. And so just one quick scroll through a news feed on social media, it will lead you to hours of heartbreaking stories of murder, rape, burglary, robbery, abuse, molestation, and more. God clearly hates murder. But what about self-defense? Well, do we have a right to defend the people that God has given us to cherish? Do we have a right to defend ourselves? Man, y'all are looking at me like, what are you going to say here? (laughs) If a burglar breaks in through my front door and wants my stereo, he can have it. But if he wants my daughter, he cannot have her. You see, just two chapters after God forbade murder, he gave Moses a provision for self-defense. Look at Exodus 22, starting at verse 1. He says, if someone steals an ox or a sheep and then kills or sells it, the thief must pay back five oxen for each ox stolen and four sheep for each sheep stolen. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. But if it happens in the daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. Interesting. A thief who's caught must pay in full for everything he stole. If he cannot pay, he must be sold as a slave to pay for his theft. If someone steals an ox or a donkey or a sheep and is found in the thief's possession, then the thief must pay double the value of the stolen animal. Now, Exodus 22 really forms a foundation for what is known, some people might call it the castle doctrine. So since our home is our castle, we're allowed to defend our castle. But at what cost? Uh, God gave his people the right to defend their life and their property if a burglar bursts through their door at nighttime. Now, when it says nighttime, there's there's a principle here. I don't think that people are going to argue, well, is it 3 p.m., 4 p.m.? When does night start? Is it sun? Is it based on the sun? Is it based on the time? Is it based on the clock? You're missing it. It's not about that. It's about a principle here. Okay, and look what this principle is. 
God gave his people this right because at night they couldn't see if, if, if someone had a weapon, if someone was trying to do harm uh, when they walked through the wrong, if they just walked through the wrong door. You, they, they didn't know. And so he's like, somebody comes in, you can't see, you can't, you can't determine motive. He says, that's not murder. Sometimes they might be awakened out of sleep to see a stranger standing at the bed of their child, okay? In that scenario, God gave the homeowner the right to defend his or her life or the life of loved ones in that home. If he killed or she killed that would-be thief in self-defense, God, according to this scripture, called it justified. But if it was daytime, you could see that the thief was wandering away. He was saying that you could see that they had their possessions. You were called, maybe you, you called to him and, and, and he, he, he left or walked away. That there was not, the goal here was not to take human life. It was to, to protect family. And so it wasn't, again, it wasn't like three or was the sun half down or all the way down. It was at 4.30, 5 o'clock. Was it uh, after uh, after you know spring forward or fall back or daylight savings time you know it wasn't it wasn't that it was a principle of hey if you can read someone's motive do your best to not take human life but if someone is threatening your family and you don't have the time to decipher motive and you're in the dark and you can't see then i'm not calling you a murderer for defending your family is what scripture is saying and so, God would call that murder if, if we did. Our goal here is not to take human life. I don't think anybody, again, in your right mind, as a stable, mentally stable person, is looking to take someone's life. But I will not sit down and watch you take my daughter or one of my sons out of my house. I have every right to protect my home. And so, again, I don't know of anyone with strong mental health and a healthy view of human life who wants to take another human life. Clearly, self-defense is our last resort. If I can run to safety, if I can avoid a conflict, that's, that's what I'm going to do. But if I cannot, and I must stand, then I will defend myself and my family with everything that I have. And that, too, is why, and that this is, this is not, a, it's not a political statement. I understand I have a ton of people here who vote different ways. It's not a political statement. But that is why I am concerned anytime someone starts to tell me that I should give up my firearms because I'm going, no. I know this is probably welcomed in Missouri, maybe not in other states. But, but I'm going to say no because I have a right, a God-given right, to protect my family. And so... I understand that this might be something where you say, I'm just not comfortable with that. Well, then I'm not, if you're not comfortable with a firearm, don't get one. Okay, this is not pushing a certain political view. This is not pushing you to align with my view. I'm just simply showing you scripture and showing you what God spoke. But you and your, your house, you have to defend your house. and You have to do what you feel for your home and for your family. And I'm going to do that for mine. And so most of us will never do battle with the intentional and hateful decision, okay, to, to have to, to, to defend family. Thank God this happens pretty few and far between in most areas. Most of us will never face the dilemma of whether or not to take a human life. But prayerfully, this lesson provides a little bit of insight 
and a little bit of clarity because this is one of the Ten Commandments that God gave. And so we have to look at it scripturally. We have to look at it through the lens of where we are today. And this is where it is. And if you look at that and say, well, I just disagree with you. you thank God for the United States of America and you, can, you are free to disagree, with, to disagree with me. But let's stand to our feet. And we are just going to close in prayer tonight. Because, I mean, let's face it, you just talked about murder. It's, it's going to be like, let's find a place to pray and intercede right now. Like, it's just something that we got to say, I'm going to just guard my heart. I'm going to guard my heart. So let's close in prayer. Jesus, we love you. God, you are great and greatly to be praised, Lord. And you created life. You breathe life into our bodies, God. And so I know that you value every walk of life, every nationality, every tongue, every skin color, every gender, men and women, Lord, male, female, old, young. God, you, Lord Jesus, value life more than we do even. But we want to follow you in valuing that life. And I just pray that you would protect each and every one of us, Lord God, that, that Lord, we'd never have to make a decision, not even, to, not even have to defend our family. Your hand of protection would just be upon every home, every life, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you, Lord, even, even murderers that are in our nation, God, put them in the path of someone that will teach them a Bible study, that, that we could have people, Lord, that, that they could repent and be filled with your spirit, Lord Jesus, and have their sins washed away, God. We believe in, Lord, that Yes, there might be punishment for a crime, but we want, Lord Jesus, their sins washed away. We want their souls saved, God. And so, Jesus, I pray that as we look at your word tonight, that we can apply it to our own lives and situations, and that you would just lead and guide us. In your name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed.